What's up, everybody? You're listening to Games, Tech, and Things, the gaming podcast that seeks to inform you about the ways video games have affected technology throughout the ages. From the days of old and the SNES era, all the way to the modern era with computers and PC. Each week, we explore this topic with a co-host that brings their own insights into the topic right here at 3 p.m. on Fridays on Anchor. What's up, everybody? You're listening to Games, Tech, and Things, the podcast that goes over how technology and games have been intrinsically linked throughout the ages and how they've basically just fed off of one another. And today we have a very fun topic in the form of how Monster Hunter has progressed as a series and the technological advancements that it has also progressed with as a whole. With me today is Jiro Kurokawa, a financing major here at Piedmont College. I believe you're a junior or senior now? Yes, I am actually in my senior year this semester, Chris. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, I'm glad you could come in and everything. I know it's a lot of work you have to go over and do in your department, so it's a lot to have to ask someone like you to come out and do this. Oh know? boy, such such high regards, yeah. But um, I've always been a fan of the Monster Hunter series, so it's uh, nice to get to catch up and talk about the critically acclaimed game like this yeah it's definitely a really fun series especially when you get into its its core gameplay of farm out different monsters get the cool looking armor that you just love to see i mean just the spikes and everything that you see on the monsters just translated so well to the armors oh yes oh yes like slaying those dragons and then pulling the parts off making them your own armor mm, nothing can beat the joy Honestly, nothing really can be the joy. It's a lot of fun. I have a lot of I have a lot of fun playing with my friends. You're one of my core gaming group when it comes to Monster Hunter as a whole, and we're you have more experience from prior <laughs> games as I recall, right? Yes. Um so Monster Hunter's been uh something of a cult classic in the Japanese gaming scope and um I've been a fan since oh boy, um since my early uh, tens and maybe nines, yeah, I remember I used to log in almost uh, a thousand hours into that game in my childhood. It's It's been one of my favorites, to say the least. Well, I believe the saying is to truly master something, you need at least a thousand hours in something, you know? Oh, yes, yes. The skill ceiling in this game is actually quite high. And I believe that was one of the um, point of contention when it was translated to the Western industry um but because of all the the difficulties it's it's like one of those uh, hardcore games like dark souls where you have to dodge around and try not to die and um yeah that that thrill is something unique to monster hunter as well yeah it definitely is a tough game and not for those who are looking for just an easy a easy game for them to just sit down and enjoy whenever they get the chance <laughs> Certainly not. It's it's not your casual freebie game where like like uh like the one where you manage your little island. No, no, this is not a game like that. No, nah. It's more you got to go in boots on the ground, know what you're doing, get in there and complete the mission. And the arguably you get a decent sized amount of time to do it. However, it's very punishing and it's death mechanics where. 
you only get three lives before it's an automatic fail. Oh, yes, yes. And those dragons are the sizes of uh, skyscrapers, and some of them are as big as, oh, I'd say a whole mountain. If they run over you, they're, you're, no, it doesn't matter how much HP you have on your gauge. You're, you're a goner. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There's a lot of monsters that end up being skyscraper-shaped, and I believe most of those have been in prior games, with some exceptions being the Black Dragon Fatalis that was added into Monster Hunter World. Yes, Monster Hunter World, I remember, was one of the first Monster Hunter series game to um, be platformed in the, the PC environment, and it was also one of the first to uh, get translated into English in the Western world. And uh, I, I would say it's one of the what, like better known. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely more well known in the Western audience over here in America because it ended up being translated so well to console. And that's because instead of sticking to what it had been on prior, let's see, I think the original few Monster Hunter games were for the PlayStation, but then it got trapped onto handheld systems yes. like yes. the PlayStation Portable and the DS, 3DS and all that. Oh, yes, the PS Vita, and I'm not sure if you can count the Wii U as a portable device, but it's been there as well. Yeah, but now it seems to have taken a turn back to the portable, portable scape. However, that's kind of a point of contention with the hardware it's on. It's on the Nintendo Switch for the new newest game, Monster Hunter Rise. And that's kind of a point of contention for it. Because is the Switch truly a handheld or is it a console? Yeah, I feel like that's a discussion that a lot of gamers go um, and delve into. Because the Switch was originally, when it came out, it was it had very gr great specs. Um, it had the, the capability of some um, household games. But the catch was you could also uh, bring it around and play with your friends outside and all that um, jazz. Uh, would you say that the, it still uh, compares to a lot of the computers or consoles used in the um, the TV in, in these days? When looking at how it looks comparatively, all right, if you plug it up to the TV, Due to how the aspect ratio is on this on said device, I think it ends up being decently good. However, it's when you take it out into the handheld mode is where some of the issues come into play, I believe. Um, you get issues with the screen. It's just, it doesn't seem like it's meant to be played uh, with AAA titles like Skyrim, Doom, and all that. I'll have to agree with you on that one, Chris. Yes, um, the, the screen size is about, let's see... Uh... Uh, not even a foot it's like uh, 10 inches or so so yeah all those amazing graphics won't really show too well on the small portable screen but yeah I have to agree with you on TV it's absolutely amazing breathtaking graphics yeah I'm always happy to be able to plug it up to either my computer monitor or my TV at home because it's just always I, I think it ends up being more exciting that way you get just that added bit of detail that you can see. You can just see every minuscule detail. And it ends up being a nice experience. One that is eventually actually coming to the PC um, landscape. Coming up, I think, at the end of this year. Oh, yes. The, the one, I can't remember the name. What was it again, Chris? It's actually just a direct port of Monster Hunter Rise, if I remember correctly. 
Oh, wow. That is that is something to celebrate about. Um, I believe one of the major uh, turnoff points for the Monster Hunter Rise uh, software was that it was only for the Switch and not for any other device like the computer or Xbox or mm-hmm. um, what you call it, uh, PlayStation. Yeah, PlayStation. Um, well, they're bringing it to PC, and with it, they're likely going to be adding an upgrade pack, much like with how they did with Monster Hunter World when it came to PC alongside the paid DLC for Iceborne. Um, it added a lot of new textures and made it look like it was up to snuff with, you know, standard PC games at the time. Uh, for those of you who are listening and don't really know, the PC game market definitely has a stronger graphical power to it and takes up a lot more technological i not wonder but technological ability for it to be able to just run because if a game is developed for consoles they have to be toned down a bit because when you sell a console it has the same specs as it did when you first bought it but on a pc you can upgrade on a pc you can take different parts and put them together and make it sound and feel much better. Yeah, I I agree with you. The modular nature of the PC is definitely why some people refer to it as the PC master race over other consoles. Um, And the the Nintendo Switch is, uh, while it's fine and all, Monster Hunter Rise deserves a better platform. And I think a lot of people can agree that if it were to come into the computer environment, um, it would allow for even greater scales of graphics and and system implementations and um, download contents, additional downloadable contents are where um, people sometimes divulge as in, uh, is is it better to buy all these separate downloadable contents or whether should it it be included in the entire game as the whole price? Um, But I feel like uh, the computer port would allow for freedom of choice and... um, for players to be able to select whichever style they want to purchase. Yeah, I'm super excited for it to come out on PC, and I have some friends who are planning on picking it up on PC as well as Switch. I'm currently on the fence about getting it on PC just because, you know, I bought it for I bought it for myself, I bought it for my Switch and everything, and I have a lot of people I play with on Switch, but it also means I wouldn't be able to play with those people on PC. Right, right, and um, I think uh, a lot of modern games are trying to invest into cross-platform play where they allow you to um, play between different platforms as in PlayStations and Xboxes and computers. Um, Whether the Switch can implement this or not, I feel like would be a major breaking point. Well, they've had success with titles in the past, like online-style games with uh, Apex Legends on the Switch. And as I recall, recently... There's been some contention between the the big three, I guess you could call them, of game console manufacturers, Nintendo and Microsoft of, you know, the Switch and Xbox um, producers. They end up pairing together a lot better than Sony, which does PlayStation. Um, PlayStation, for the longest time, was blocked out of any form of crossplay due to the fact that there was certain conditions and stuff that they wanted to be met before they were satisfied with allowing this kind of play to occur. Yeah, yeah. As a um, as a business major, I have to agree with you on that point. Um, where Microsoft and Nintendo don't 
tend to compete it, uh, with each other as much with their um, focuses being divided in handheld games and um, home-owned console games. But uh, I feel like PlayStation in general is in a uh, tight spot where they're where they're trying to expand to both markets, and that may limit their opportunity for cooperation and uh, crossplay. Definitely, yes. Yeah, I remember in the past and everything they were they were very keen on getting their technology out there for as many people as they could, making sure everyone could play. It didn't really matter what you were playing as long as you were playing a game that they thought was up to snuff, and. As it's gone through the years, a lot of companies think that Sony as a whole has gone off the deep end and has gone more chasing after the profits instead. The same could be said about Xbox. However, there's a lot of key things that Xbox has done that has been more consumer friendly than what Sony has done. Yeah, uh, Sony has been um, in the forefront of the hailstorm recently, and I have to agree with you that... um, uh, consumer friendliness is becoming more and more important these days with how long it takes for developers to create um, game softwares and how how uh, resource heavy it's becoming by the year. I mean, if you just look at the graphics, it's been there's been an amazing leap in the past 10 years and the resources required and the manpower and the hours, it, it's all increased by tenfold. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I do have to agree, yeah, that um, consumer friendliness is definitely the point where sales or market share can divulge. Yeah, and I feel that as a result of these different various aspects, it may have been a reason that Sony has been losing so many exclusives. Originally, you know, we were talking about Monster Hunter earlier. Monster Hunter was an exclusive for, I believe, the PlayStation 1 or 2, was it? Yes, I think it was the second one, actually. And then they expanded into the handheld PlayStation portable mm-hmm. devices. Let's see. They stayed on, like you said, the PlayStation 2. And then they moved over to when the PlayStation Portable came out. And then after that, it became a rocky road between the Monster Hunter creator creator which is it's not bandai namco is it i believe it was actually capcom who created monster hunter that sounds about right so with capcom and sony i guess there were some troubled waters because eventually they went over and moved over to the nintendo switch not switch um the nintendo ds and the 3ds and such which comparatively is a weaker console than the playstation portable Oh, of course. Um, the the devices are they may, may not be as um, as competitive as Sony's other portable devices. Um, when you're looking at the 3DS or the DS, they're relatively small and they may not have beefy graphics at all. But uh, when you look at market share and how well they've been expanding, I would have to say uh, the DS and the 3DS were revolutionary for their time. Uh, everyone in my uh, kindergartner grade had 3DSs. I remember. It was good times. Oh, yeah. The the 3DS was a great console. And if I remember correctly, I remember the story about the DS that was later confirmed. It was with Satoru Iwata, I want to say. Do you remember the story where the original DS wasn't allowed to launch until it could f- until it could survive a fall? From the breast pocket of the average sized man. The breast pocket of an average sized man. Now that's a story I actually hadn't heard before, um, but that that does make a lot of sense. I remember a Nintendo was not only a um, 
a game producer and creator for children, but also for adults as well. And um, Monster Hunter being one of those more difficult games, uh, it was rather popular among uh, mature audiences. Yes. Yeah, I definitely think that the the market that they were after was high schoolers to young adults because those are the people with money, with time, the ability to pick up the console, play it to and from work possibly, and maybe on breaks. Oh, of course, of course. Um, portability was a big thing in the Japanese market, especially if, if you think about uh, traveling to school or work every morning, everyone, most people take trains and, you know, they're just standing inside the train idly waiting with um, for things to do. So a handheld gaming device was, was just uh, the perfect match for the demographic at that time. Yeah, and I'm excited to see that the game itself has made its way over to Western audiences here in America because we definitely have a more car-centered focus when it comes to travel and everything. Right, right. So I believe that the market in the West may have shifted a bit as a result. I, I have to agree with you on that one, Chris. Um, the main challenge for Nintendo was adapting a handheld device to a car-centered um, demographic that didn't have as much freedom. But when you think about the demographic of who's buying the Nintendo Switch, it's usually the children, the young kids, and mm -hmm. they're not the ones driving. They're usually the ones in the back seat. So I think they did a, they pulled a good job, Nintendo. Yes. Yeah, I think that's definitely where they were going with it, which I believe is another reason they made some key changes to the Monster Hunter formula and Rise with the addition of the Wirebug system. Yes, the wirebug system, that was something unique to the Rise um, Horizon. Um, and in prior games, there were uh, similar gimmicks where you can use uh, enhanced mobility and jumping around and all that. But it was, it was absolutely revolutionary in Monster Hunter Rise where you could just uh, imagine Spider-Man. You can just shoot a little bug out of your hand and it tethers you and you can swing around. That was, um, it's both intuitive and it's easy to use. Um, I feel like it was a great match for the child demographic. Um, it definitely lowers the skill ceiling because while in previous games where you did have those enhanced mobility skills, you were at a loss as to how to actually properly use them because more often than not, as I recall when playing, what was it, three Ultimate Generations, we have some long names, there, there were some long names for these games, but three ultimate generations i believe it was called for there was a remake for the switch and there was originally for the nintendo 3ds yes yes um i remember some of the movement systems and i remember having issues initially just trying to figure out what i'm supposed to do with these i mean some of them are clear-cut absolute dive or absolute dodge does exactly as it says on the cam but then you have something called brimstone slash which if you're playing a great sword it just kind of seems like you're sitting there unable to do anything until you do this damn this huge damaging move, but you just leave yourself so vulnerable for so long that you could just end up losing and dying as a whole. Absolutely. In prior games, the lack of mobility was one of the challenges that many players faced. And I think that was part of the reason the skill floor was so high and it was rather difficult for young children to get accustomed to the game because you know you will just die if you can't dodge those those uh, hefty blows by the monsters. Um, and mind you, this was uh, back when we had underwater stages and the 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 scope was three-dimensional. You had to dodge upwards, downwards, left, right, 
um, but you didn't have the luxury of zooming around with a little Spider-Man bug. Um, but in, in Rise, everything has changed. We don't have any more underwater stages, but you're free to soar through the air with a bug. It's, it's absolutely breathtaking. It honestly is, especially when you go up to the highest point of the map and you just see how far you can travel. And, you know, with the, with the new expansive maps and everything, it, you can definitely see the changes in the level of technology as a whole. I mean, previous games, we were looking at, what, one single area per loading screen? So every time you would go to this zone, you would transition to through a loading screen, and then you would be in another part of the map. But if you accidentally got knocked back through it, it became annoying and tedious. Yes, the nightmares of being blown through maps. That was an absolute challenge for many players. I remember that, Chris, yes. Yeah, it was definitely really rough, and it's really hard to go back to those older games as a result of it. The technical the technological gap between the 3DS and the Switch is definitely extremely huge because when you look at the limitations that the 3DS imposed on Monster Hunter as a whole, you can really see that its power wasn't as strong as you would assume it would be for just the entire breadth of what you could do with the 3DS. I would have to agree with you on that one, Chris. Um, I feel like Capcom, the developer of Monster Hunter, um, the the entire franchise and series was um, strictly limited by the capabilities and technological extents of the the handheld devices that they were using as a host. And um, now that we have the um, the Nintendo Switch, which basically uh, includes a graphics card with the same capability as a um, as a desktop gaming computer, um, I, I believe it's allowed the developers to implement way more variations in movement, in weapons, in monsters, in all sorts of different... Even the graphics are just... Each pixel requires so much space and processing capacity. I think things have uh, uh, evolved from those days. Yeah, it's definitely a welcome change as well. I'm glad that these changes came into being. However, we can't not look at the past. I mean, we have to look at the past to see what worked and didn't work. And that's why, you know, what didn't work went away. The The transition zones, the ability to only dodge in certain directions instead of an omnidirectional ability to dodge. Do you remember those days where you're trying to dodge one direction, but you only get eight Oh, yes, yes. That was absolutely horrendous. Um, first of all, of all, freedom of movement is absolutely key in this game. You know, if if you're stuck in mud or deep snow and you can't dodge an attack, you might as well be a goner. Yeah. And for those of you listening who aren't, uh, aren't really sure what the difference between an omnidirectional and an eight, eight, I guess, directional dodging or movement system is, is... There's those various degrees on an omnidirectional dodge or movement system that you can't really reach with the eight system because you only get eight directions. It's just like on a compass with the additional notches between northeast, south, southwest with northeast, southeast, and all that stuff. However, omnidirectional is the full, the full circle, just any spaces between the north and northeast that you can see on a compass rose, basically. And so I'm super excited for these changes. I'm glad that they made these changes. But are there some changes that you kind of wish that they hadn't made? 
changes that I wish they hadn't made, Chris? That's a very good question. Um, for for many of the old players, I remember um, uh, some of the lighter weapons. See, in the game, you can wield these weapons called bowguns. Um, they're basically contraptions like handheld trebuchets, basically. And uh, they had two variants. One was a light bogan, and the other was a heavy bogan. And back in the days, the light bogan was lighter. It allowed you to dodge easier and maneuver more, uh, but it was not as hefty and beefy as the heavy bogan, whereas the heavy bogan did not permit uh, freedom of movement, but it had stronger damage capacity. It had better um, reload speed and abilities and such. Um, that differentiation has been kind of nullified in later or recent series, um, such as the Monster Hunter Rise game. Um, of course, with the introduction of wire bugs, you can just zip, zap, and zop through the map as, as you want, and, um, whether you're in a heavy bowgun or a light bowgun. So, um, sometimes limitations can bring a, a sense of realism or, uh, just, just the immersion is... Uh, lost in some aspects, uh, which might be a point of contention for some old school gamers. I can see your point there, and honestly, there is a point to be made that maybe it should have been to where the light bowgun stayed, you know, exactly light as it was intended to be. However, those changes needed to be made in order to bring in a broader audience. I feel that as a as the ability to increase the levels of technology and were able to just jump and everything, I feel that these may have had an influence on the reason why these things changed. Oh, of course, Chris. And I believe the change in demographic has also um, been the reason of all these um, quality of life changes. The The children before are now grown adults and and the children of today weren't even there before. So you're always changing. You're constantly shifting the target demographic and you're trying to to um, reply to all these demands, of course the developers would have to implement different uh, methods and tactics in their game design. And you definitely have to also meet the technology demands of the players because if the players get accustomed to something, like say, you know, the PC market, PC Master Race, everyone likes the big graphics, the best graphics that are out there. Nothing can be too... Nothing can look terrible or else it's a bad game, according to some purists out there. And if people have a game like that, that then goes and just squanders its capabilities and makes less use of technological advancements, then the fans are going to steer away from it. Of course, of course. Monster Hunter has always been one of those games that had superior graphics compared to the industry average in their um, era. Uh Monster Hunter Rise, this current game, is is comparably superior to all of the other um, softwares available on the Nintendo Switch platform. And if you look at the um, prior series, such as the Monster Hunter Tri-G, which was uh, mostly uh, on, sales in, on sale in shelves around, uh, I want to say, between 2012 and 2015... That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Around that time, um, handheld devices like the Nintendo 3DS didn't have as much graphic capabilities, and um, their software um, competitors, such as maybe Mario Kart um, or Super Mario Brothers, those were um, some of the uh, prominent Nintendo softwares that were in competition with Monster Hunter at that time. 
um, they didn't have as good a graphic as the Monster Hunter software did. And for grown audiences especially, that sense of immersion and realism coming from the graphics was a big deal. Yeah, I'm definitely glad that the level of technological advancements has been applied to the Monster Hunter series, and I'm excited for what's to come, especially with the new DLC that they're already probably making. Making, I'm pretty sure they've already confirmed it. It's just a matter of time until they release it at this point. But, you know, it's looking about that time. That's going to do it today, folks. Thank you, Jiro. I'm glad you were able to come in today. Thank you. I'm glad we got to talk about some Monster Hunter, a game series that we both have enjoyed these past, what is it, about a year now? Absolutely. This past year has been a blast. All right. That's going to about do it for this episode of Games Tech and Things. We hope you tune in again next Friday right here on Anchor.